Yo, have you heard of LinkedIn Learning? If you haven't, LinkedIn Learning is an American massive open online course provider. It provides video courses taught by industry experts in a variety of subjects. Now, why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because Living Corporate is in partnership with LinkedIn Learning to provide diversity, equity, and inclusion courses. Listen, if you're trying to be a better ally, you want to understand better diversity, equity, inclusion strategies, or you just want to learn how to be a better leader, you got to check out the courses on LinkedIn Learning. So check it out. You can do it one of two ways. You can click the link in the show notes or you go to LinkedIn Learning and you search Living Corporate again. Link in the show notes or go to LinkedIn Learning and search Living Corporate. I'll see you over there. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And, you know, it's interesting. We are a platform that focuses on centering and amplifying black and brown folks at work. And I'm you know, if, if you know me personally or if you listen to Living Corporate for any amount of time, you know that I'm like one of the biggest advocates for just intersectionality as it pertains to the idea that black and brown people are everything else, too. Black and brown folks are queer. Black and brown folks are uh, fat. Black and brown folks are indigenous. Black and brown folks are first generation professionals. Black and brown folks are men. Black and brown folks are women. Black and brown folks are non-binary. Black and brown folks are Republicans. Black and brown folks are Democrats. Black and brown folks, like, they're everything. So this idea of, like, kind of, like, you know, sectoring them off or otherizing them within the diversity, equity, inclusion space is, like, really harmful. Right? Like, it's harmful. It's it's also, like, dishonest. And so it's interesting, though, because I'm a really hard advocate of that, but I can also say that I am not consistent and living corporate as a brand has not been consistent in amplifying the perspectives of uh, disabled black and brown people. We are, we are not, um, we know we have, we have had uh, one guest, one guest, uh, Melissa Thompson, a couple years ago, talking about like the different treatment of black and brown people in the disability space and just how those perspectives and experiences are very often erased. Um, but we have not, again, like really taken the time to really delve into that particular group. And so I'm really honored and I'm humbled by the guests that we have today. You know, we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk about my conversation with Rose Robinson um, in a bit um, and then really just the discussion that we had and just thankful for her time and really the work that that she is leading uh, there. Right. And so we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk a bit about um, identity in general. Like You're going to hear us talk about it in our discussion, uh, but you're going to hear me even like kind of raise some questions to the common pushback she gets about the double click of disability in I.T., for black and brown people. So I, I just really appreciate the fact that we will have that conversation. Now, before we get there, we're going to go ahead and we're going to tap in with Tristan. So I'll see you in a second. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. This week, I want to discuss whether you are unqualified for that role or if you're just underqualified, because there's a difference. At some point, when each of us is searching for a job, we pass up applying to some because we don't think we match exactly what they're looking for, even if we feel like we could learn on the job. We'll often tell ourselves, oh, I'm not qualified for the role, and keep scrolling. 
But one mistake I think many job seekers make is not knowing the difference between being unqualified and underqualified. So let me break it down for you. Unqualified is where you don't meet even 10 to 20% of the qualifications from the job description. These are the roles you encounter and think, wow, this job sounds cool, but I don't have any experience doing any of the things they're requesting. When we see these roles, sometimes we'll find one requirement in the job description that we have and we latch onto it and lie to ourselves that this is the perfect job for us. On the contrary, being underqualified is where you meet at least 60 to 70% of the job description requirements. Maybe you're only two years shy of the requested experience, but you're pretty confident that you can do well in the position. When we see these roles, often the only thing holding us back from applying is ourselves and our preconceived notions surrounding the company or job and the other candidates applying. Now, if you're unqualified, simply do not apply to the role. You'll likely never make it to the top candidate position because you have no tangible examples that showcase how you can solve the company's problems. You also could be doing yourself a disservice by tarnishing your reputation with that employer. But if you're underqualified, you definitely should still apply. And though that goes for everyone, I'm specifically talking to women because studies show that a large majority of women will not apply to jobs unless they are 100% qualified based on the job description. I say still apply because according to a study by Robert Half, 84% of companies are willing to hire and train a candidate who lacked required skills. And 62% of employees have been offered a position for which they were not fully qualified. Even Google's head of people operations was underqualified for his role according to his 2019 interview with Fast Company. So don't be afraid to shoot your shot. No matter if you apply online and you are overqualified, underqualified, or just plain qualified, remember the best way to ensure that you get the, to the interview stage is by understanding the value you bring to the company, conveying that well in your documents and LinkedIn profile, and leveraging your network. Thanks for tapping in with me this week. Talk to you next week, same time, same place. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Rose, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Zach. Appreciate it. No, thank you for being a guest. Now, you know, I... I am really interested. One, you know, we don't talk enough about um, about people with disabilities um, in IT or any other industry. So I'm just excited about like having someone um, to really like refocus us or really shine a better light, more appropriate light on this in this space. Like I'm curious about like how what was your journey um, and and what did it look like for you to become the executive director uh, for the Center of Minorities and People with Disabilities in IT? Well, thank you. Um, and I just want to say thank you to your audience for having me and uh, giving me this opportunity to pass along information, but also share my own story and journey. So I started out in the tech industry as a programmer, engineer, software engineer. I spent uh, probably about 25 years in the industry, mainly with um, e-commerce, a large software implementation. So I've had a wealth of experience. I've worked for small startups. I've worked for large companies. I got to travel. I've, I've probably been to six of the continents, 
So it's been such an amazing journey for me. One of the things I, what happened in my life was that my father passed suddenly and I wanted to take a step back and, and just rethink about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to help my own community. Um, where I led, where that led me is the Anita Borg Institute. And, and that really is for um, women in tech and women in computing. However, I found a very, um, I found it also that the organizations um, were not really inclusive of women of color. So with that, I had the opportunity as the only black woman at the time, and I was probably number 18 of the organization or 21, I can't remember which, but it allowed me to build affinity communities. Um, when you're in a large community, which is uh, mostly white and Asian, um, you get lost because sometimes you don't have the support that you need and, and you really need um, those who look like you, but also share your experiences. So I was able to create maybe probably about 17 different affinity communities from Black women in computing, uh, which is not really founded by me, but I helped really start that or um, that community. Um, Latinas in computing was already in place. Um, LGBTQ was also already in place, but a lot of the Asian um, women in computing's um, as well. I mean, they're just thriving and it really is important to have that. Um, I guess that uh, say, you know, those that look at you, but also share those experiences. And um, in my probably 10th year there, um, and that was a nonprofit, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so then again, there was another challenge for me because I was like, wow, um, why I helped so many other women and so many other people, why did this happen to me? But when going through all of my surgeries and the chemos and the radiations and the, just the doctor's visits, I noticed that I had to advocate for myself. And I noticed that it just dawned on me that if I didn't have insurance, then, um, you know, I could have potentially just died. And that made me think a lot about what was going on at the time with Black women in health. So when I um, came out on the other side, I am cancer-free as of today, and I'm trying to get to my five years, um, I was you know, just thinking about what's the next level for me as well. And so I had already been a part of the commanded community or the commanded family, if you will. Um, and their programs really helped me through just, you know, the isolation being intact. And also it, it allowed me to bring my own daughter and my son into the community and they're both thriving in tech as well. So um, that's where I was after my um, my breast cancer. I came out of there very successfully, but I also wanted to say, okay, here's my community. This is what I want to do and help those that really don't have a voice in the tech space um, and really has just been um, struggling and challenged uh, with a lot of the companies and 
uh, individuals that have just struggled so much in the in the years um, there. Uh, just wanted to help shift things a little bit, shift the conversation. And so I wanted to come on board um, with uh, a lot of the community members asked me to apply for this job. And then I, that's why I'm here today. You know, I, I'd love to understand a bit, you know, on, as you look at the the website um, uh, for the Center of for Minorities and People with Disabilities in IT, and the, the tagline is fostering innovation through inclusion. And so can, can we talk a little bit more about like those those through lines of, of innovation and inclusion? Yes, absolutely. So when we talk about innovation, um, we always come and, and I mean commanded. We have the always the perspective of diversity and inclusion. And the reason is for twofold. When we are talking about innovation of new ideas, methods or products, it should always come from a diverse lens. Now, we've read about research, uh, you know, in innovation and inclusion and diversity is really important to a, an organization or a company, um, their bottom line, um, because the mere fact is that it is important to the audience that everyone that you're trying to reach, any company that they're trying to reach, that they have those audiences in mind. And it's certainly not just the white man. So it should, and, 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 you know, it should embody, your product should embody all of your audiences. Secondly, when we talk about innovation, um, it has to provide diverse perspectives. perspectives. But you, that you are including also those voices who are traditionally not being heard at the design phase or at, uh, in your features and you're really talking about including cultural and accessibility aspects. So we just held a, um, uh, a two-part series, a webinar of using technology while blind. So we're talking about um, a blind um, user as well as a visually impaired user. So what are the tools that they need to navigate just to navigate your website, you would be surprised. And those are um, posted on our website, but you would be surprised on the number of tools and the challenges that they have just to navigate to a newsletter, right? So when we talk about fostering um, inclusion for innovation, that is exactly what we're trying to do, not just from an individual's aspect, but also from an organization and a cultural and society aspect, because it really is important. What would you say, you know, to those who would question why um, why the disabled the, the 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 disabled community in IT needs to be uh, segmented by race? Like, why do you believe that? Or what would you say, rather, to those who would say, well, you know, all, disabil all disabled lives matter. Why can't we just all be in one group? Why are, we, why are we having this little carve out? What would your response be to that? So part of one of the speakers um, in that webinar se series is Sinji um, uh, Tyson. 
She is an African-American woman, uh, a tech professional who is also visually impaired. Now, those different layers, um, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I'm, I'm a Black woman um, in tech with a medical disability. However, um, you know, I don't separate those two out from me as an identity. However, I know that I have a lot more challenges probably um, with my race versus my gender uh, and a disability. And, and from my own community and growing up, we still have, we had certain biases, traditional biases uh, around what disability means for our communities as well. So for us, we do, you know, we take on those roles of being those advocates for, for that. So, so although our four groups, and I, I forgot to mention this, but our four groups that we support, African-American Blacks, um, Hispanic, Latinos, Native American, Indigenous, and people with disabilities. However, we always work in the intersectionality of all four of those groups. And it's number one because we can break out the, we can take a, take a little deep dive into the challenges of Black women, Latina women, um, um, Native women, as well as um, women with disabilities. But we, when you are adding that extra layer um, from, from that perspective as well, you have to really look at that. It's not segregating out those features that you have uh, or those identities, but those are really, really important from the aspect of what can we do to make sure that their voices are heard as well. I love that. Um, you know, it's interesting because I don't, I, I believe that especially, you know, I'm, I'm curious um, to get your perspective on the, where we are as a country on just like the concept of disability, right? Like in, like how broad, like when we, when we use the word disability, I think there's oftentimes where folks think about, you know, visible disabilities. They think about, you know, maybe perhaps like, like, um, like a like some again like a visible disability. Um, mm -hmm. Where do you feel as if like we are in terms of the journey to really understand and grasp all of what disability really means? So you know this is um, I'm glad you asked that question because that's what most of us see, right? See, and and I'm going to use that word intentionally here. See, mm. is that once we see a physical disability, we already know. You know, we can relate that and we can equate that to the term or the defined um, meaning of disability. Um, when you're talking about even um, when you're talking about someone who's blind, not necessarily visually impaired, but someone who is blind. Um, when someone is blind who um, uh, may need the aid of uh, a person to help them uh, or a cane or some type of, uh, or a dog to help them, uh, you know, navigate the ways and even equipment on their, on their computers to navigate the ways. However, um, visually impaired, they may have very low vision. They, let's say that a person has 80% low vision, Okay. Um, but they just need, um, they have assistant technology, if you will, to help them um, see what they need to see. 
Now, you're talking about someone who is deaf. Can we really say, can we really tell if someone is deaf, right? Um, and that's where the seeing part comes in. And these are things that we're educating ourselves at Commanded as well. We're not, you know, we work with organizations like Access Computing, um, Nobility. Nobility is spelled K-N-O-W-B-I-L-I-T-Y. These are organizations that that's their focus. And so we work with them to, um, you know, make sure that our community has the resources and edu education that they need, as well as us. So, um, and then you have on um, the, what you mentioned earlier, the hidden disabilities, the silent disabilities, right? So we talk about mental health, which is really raised um, in the, we saw that so revealed in the pandemic, but what about the autism spectrum? So let me, let me just share a little bit of um, personal. My older sister is blind. I have two nephews who is mus who has muscular dystrophy and they're in a wheelchair. And one nephew, one of those nephews is also autistic. Doesn't mean that, you know, they're not capable or thriving. And I think you'll see, um, when I say see, I, I think we'll learn more in the future. And this is already happening from the accessibility community, is that it has such a negative connotation, disability, right? So they're saying different abilities. You know, it could it could mean something like that. So they're shifting that conversation as well because we have to educate ourselves that we can't always see a disability, but from commanded perspective, um, when you sign up for an event and we ask you, you know, we do ask the accessibility questions and if there's anything that you need, we have a, a layers, maybe about 10 different options where you can choose um, what you, um, what this, uh, disability that you have that you need help or assistance in. And so we take that into consideration because it's not always very obvious, like seeing a disability, but the, you know, the autism, being on that autism spectrum, um, we're doing a lot of work in that in, in our um in our programming right now with the Tapia conference. So it is really a uh, super educational for us and as we're learning, but we're also sharing that out to other organizations and individuals as well. I love it. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to learn more you know, about the, the specific programs that your organization has been able to stand up that you believe um, have really created um, you know, awareness or more, more direct like addressing of you know, inequities in academia and within the job force. Yeah, so let me let me share um, our LEAP program first. Um, I'll talk about LEAP, ACW, and our TAPIA. So our LEAP program is Leadership and Professoriate. So when we're talking about, hey, let's get more students into computer science, um, uh, you know, getting them to major, they're probably very a small portion of the student entry, right? But also they don't see many of them in their faculty. So um, LEAP is really trying to help um, increase the number of um, PhD students to go into the academic world, 
right, to get their PhD and complete their PhDs in computer science or computing, um, any other computing discipline. So I want to say that we do focus only on computing and IT, and computing has many disciplines, computer information system, data science, um, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, and all of that. But we, we really help focus, um, that LEAP program is really um, focused. And we're working with 30 different um, departments, Wow. Uh, computer science departments and universities. Wow. And that was a big step. We did, we did have um, 11, the first 11, but now we've gotten a grant from NSF and that is more, that it allowed us to expand to more. So if you think about it, we're working with these um, departments to make sure that they have, and in this alliance, each cohort is an alliance of um, colleges and universities to ensure that they have advocates on, on, um, on campus in their department to ensure that these students get what they need um, as, as, as far as the support, but also know that they have a community to help them through that and to finish their degrees. Now, that's LEAP. And then we have what I mentioned ACW, and I'm sorry to use these <laughs> short words, but Academic Careers Workshop. The Academic Careers Workshop is, is really for, um, you know, first year academics um, or PhD students or postdoc that looking to go into academic. So there is a lot of process to get to that. Writing grants, um, you, you know, um, what, uh, what do you need to do in a process? What is the advancement process? So there's, you know, you don't know those things. So we provide um, workshops specifically for our four groups to ensure that they are successful in the academic setting, but also understand what those grant writing looks like and what does the advancement look like or the promotion pathway looks like in the academic. So we're also preparing that as well. The one big thing that we have annually is the Commanded ACM, Richard Tapia um, Diversity in Computing Conference. It's a celebration. And we call it celebration because we also ensure that, you know, just like hidden figures, we have been part of this innovation for a long time. And there have been incredible contributors to the technology innovation. But of course, we're not mainstream. So we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to make sure that if they're not into the mainstream media, we can bring them out and share that because everybody needs a role model to, to look up to. Everybody can, needs to see who they can be. And so those are the things that, you know, we have um, the Tapia Conference is supports from college students, and that means undergraduate, master's, uh, master's program as well as PhD, postdoc, faculty, and academic staff. We are in industry, corporate, government, and nonprofits. So it is the most, and I know this personally because I have been part of this community for a while, it is the most diverse conference there is. 
And we pride ourselves in there because we're very intentional about making sure that the four groups that we heard are, are heard, that we support are heard. But we're, we're not exclusive. We invite everybody. We invite all our allies to join us and to learn and to take back what they've learned at Tapia to their organizations as well. So those are the really the, we have plenty more, but those are the main three that uh, traditionally have been around for a while um, that's really making significant impact. Well, I'm so inspired. Again, I, I think I think about even myself, like I don't know how much I even, I consider um, disability, especially v- invisible disabilities. Um, and mm-hmm. yet, you know, Living Corporate is a platform focused on centering and amplifying uh, black and brown voices at work. And like, here you are, you're in that space specifically. Like, I'm curious to know, like, as you think about institutions, particularly colleges, universities, mm-hmm. what are the things that they can do to help encourage black and brown folks, minorities in computing fields? Uh, and then if you could, perhaps are there additional things they could do for those individuals who also happen to have disabilities? Yeah. So I think uh, number one, what we've learned, we have a program, also additional program called University Ward. And it really, the ward, yes, we we grant the university or the computer science department an award, a $15,000 uh, award for their retention program. And it really is a lot of programs are centered around recruiting, right? But when they get there, we got to make sure that they're successful. So one of the things that we've learned is retention programs really help. Like you've got to be very um, active and intentional about uh, even at the freshman level. So many of the um, many of the colleges and universities also freshmen bring their freshmen first. For I mean, they may not be on campus even two weeks, but they do bring their freshmen to the Tapia conference because you know they may not see other black and brown folks or either um, uh, black and brown folks who have a disability in their classrooms, but they certainly will see us at Tapia. And so that gives them a peace of mind right there that, okay, I can always engage with commanded, um, the commanded community all year round. Um, The other thing is to get in uh, you know get involved in our programs because most of mostly our programs also creates this community and wealth of information we are putting together a new like resources um and just really trying to post that all in in um in our, on our website but we always pass a lot of information on our um in our newsletter um, to uh, just to our audience who have signed up for a lot of our programs. So those are, I would say, two, definitely two things. Um, getting involved with Tapia also, not just from an attendee perspective, but also from a, a volunteer. We have commu- committees for each um, area of the conference. We have a Tapia Industry Advisory Board that really focuses on the corporate content or the industry content for technology. And those are represented directly from the four groups. Um, Sinji Tyson is also on that, uh, on that committee as well. And so you will, um, one of the things that is important is that with Commanded, you will have access to 
a lot of the community that you probably don't even know of. And that's really, really important. Like I said, we are, we're focused on computing and IT. So if that's your what you're looking for at your workplace, then this is the place to be because you'll always have access to students. You'll always have access to other professionals to share, collaborate. And I think that's the key, right? And when we talk about allyship, that's really the key that you learn, listen, and then take on some of those challenges as well uh, from a personal perspective. I love that. Thank you so much, uh, Rose. It's been a phenomenal conversation. Um, I'm really excited. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm really excited about folks learning more about the Center for Minorities and People with Disabilities in IT. In fact, the link is in the show notes. You can learn more about the organization, more about Rose. If you're a company organization and you and you listen to this, you know for a fact that you need to diversify your STEM areas and departments. So why not plug into an organization specifically fostering innovation through inclusion? Rose, I'll consider you in front of the show and uh, I look forward to having you back. Thank you so much. And how do we create change? We're going to command it. Thank you for having me. Come on now. That's right. And we're back. Yo, I want to thank Rose. I want to thank her for all of her leadership and her her work with the Center for Minorities and People with Disabilities and Information Technology. Make sure that you click the links in the shuttle. This is an entire group of people we talk about organizations talk about uh, the diversity they're looking for they're looking for and also we talk about the pipeline there being an issue in terms of access and really being able to find the talent this is a whole pool of people that are constantly developing and growing in it and so if you're an organization and you're looking to diversify your pipeline you're looking for a, a pool of applicants to engage i don't understand what would stop you from engaging this particular pool of applicants again uh, the organization is called the center for minorities and people with disabilities and in information technology again i want to shout out rose robinson let's make sure that as we think about and we continue to talk around diversity equity inclusion that we push ourselves to engage spaces that we often even us may overlook right like disability is one of the most like overlooked um, diversity dimensions that we have because so many of us do not consider and we also have been like conditioned as a culture to be um, hostile or resistant or just to otherize uh, those with disabilities we also um, have narrowed our definition of disability quite a bit and we, I'm really thankful for the conversation that Rose was able to lead and provide for us in, on this topic. I mean, I really want to challenge all DEI practitioners or thought leaders or however you want to classify yourself to really make sure that we're being inclusive of those experiences and perspectives. Let's see here. Y'all, I think that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Living Corporate. Make sure if you haven't already, check out our merch, livingcorporate.shop. You know what I'm saying? And then also make sure you give us five stars on the podcast. Till next time, this has been Zach. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.